section thirty four of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine continued part two the revival of romantic poetry the old order changeth yielding place to new and god fulfils himself in many ways lest one good custom should corrupt the world tennyson's the passing of arthur the meaning of romanticism while dryden pope and johnson were successively the dictators of english letters and while under their leadership the heroic couplet became the fashion of poetry and literature in general became satiric or critical in spirit and formal in expression a new romantic movement quietly made its appearance thomson's the seasons seventeen thirty was the first noteworthy poem of the romantic revival and the poems and the poets increased steadily in number and importance till in the age of wordsworth and scott the spirit of romanticism dominated our literature more completely than classicism had ever done this romantic movement which victor hugo calls liberalism in literature is simply the expression of life as seen by imagination rather than by prosaic common sense which was the central doctrine of english philosophy in the eighteenth century it has six prominent characteristics which distinguish it from the so-called classic literature which we have just studied One the romantic movement was marked and is always marked by a strong reaction and protest against the bondage of rule and custom which in science and theology as well as in literature generally tend to fetter the free human spirit two romanticism returned to nature and to plain humanity for its material and so is in marked contrast to classicism which had confined itself largely to the clubs and drawing-rooms and to the social and political life of london thomson's seasons whatever its defects was a revelation of the natural wealth and beauty which for nearly a century had been hardly noticed by the great writers of england three it brought again the dream of a golden age Note the romantic revival is marked by renewed interest in medieval ideals and literature and to this interest is due the success of walpole's romance the castle of otranto and of chatterton's forgeries known as the rowley papers End of note in which the stern realities of life were forgotten and the ideals of youth were established as the only permanent realities for the dreamer lives for ever but the toiler dies in a day expresses perhaps only the wild fancy of a modern poet but when we think of it seriously the dreams and ideals of a people are cherished possessions long after their stone monuments have crumbled away and their battles are forgotten the romantic movement emphasized these eternal ideals of youth and appealed to the human heart as the classic elegance of dryden and pope could never do for romanticism was marked by intense human sympathy and by a consequent understanding of the human heart not to intellect or to science does the heart unlock its treasures but rather to the touch of a sympathetic nature 
and things that are hidden from the wise and prudent are revealed unto children pope had no appreciable humanity swift's work is a frightful satire addison delighted polite society but had no message for plain people while even johnson with all his kindness had no feeling for men in the mass but supported robert walpole in his policy of letting evils alone until forced by a revolution to take notice of humanity's appeal with the romantic revival all this was changed while howard was working heroically for prison reform and wilberforce for the liberation of the slaves gray wrote his short and simple annals of the poor and goldsmith his deserted village and cowper sang my ear is pained my soul is sick with every day's report of wrong and outrage with which earth is filled there is no flesh in man's obdurate heart it does not feel for man note from the task book two this sympathy for the poor and this cry against oppression grew stronger and stronger till it culminated in bobby burns who more than any other writer in any language is the poet of the unlettered human heart five the romantic movement was the expression of individual genius rather than of established rules in consequence the literature of the revival is as varied as the characters and moods of the different writers when we read pope for instance we have a general impression of sameness as if all his polished poems were made in the same machine but in the work of the best romanticists there is endless variety to read them is like passing through a new village meeting a score of different human types and finding in each one something to love or to remember nature and the heart of man are as new as if we had never studied them hence in reading the romanticists who went to these sources for their material we are seldom wearied but often surprised and the surprise is like that of the sunrise or the sea which always offers some new beauty and stirs us deeply as if we had never seen it before six the romantic movement while it followed its own genius was not altogether unguided strictly speaking there is no new movement either in history or in literature each grows out of some good thing which has preceded it and looks back with reverence to past masters spencer shakespeare and milton were the inspiration of the romantic revival and we can hardly read a poem of the early romanticists without finding a suggestion of the influence of one of these great leaders note see for instance phelps beginning of the romantic movement for a list of spencerian imitators from seventeen hundred to seventeen seventy five end of note there are various other characteristics of romanticism but these six the protest against the bondage of rules the return to nature and the human heart the interest in old sagas and medieval romances as suggestive of a heroic age the sympathy for the toilers of the world the emphasis upon the individual genius and the return to milton and the elizabethans instead of to pope and dryden for literary models are the most noticeable and the most interesting 
remembering them we shall better appreciate the work of the following writers who in varying degree illustrate the revival of romantic poetry in the eighteenth century thomas gray seventeen sixteen seventeen seventy one the curfew tolls the knell of parting day the lowing herd winds slowly o'er the lay the ploughman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me now fades the glimmering landscape on the sight and all the air a solemn stillness holds save where the beetle wheels his droning flight and drowsy tinklings lull the distant folds so begins the best-known poem in the english language a poem full of the gentle melancholy which marks all early romantic poetry it should be read entire as a perfect model of its kind not even milton's il penseroso which it strongly suggests excels it in beauty and suggestiveness life of gray the author of the famous elegy is the most scholarly and well-balanced of all the early romantic poets in his youth he was a weakling and only one of twelve children who survived infancy and his unhappy childhood the tyranny of his father and the separation from his loved mother gave to his whole life the stamp of melancholy which is noticeable in all his poems at the famous eton school and again at cambridge he seems to have followed his own scholarly tastes rather than the curriculum and was shocked like gibbon at the general idleness and aimlessness of university life one happy result of his school life was his friendship for horace walpole who took him abroad for a three years tour of the continent no better index of the essential difference between the classical and the new romantic school can be imagined than that which is revealed in the letters of gray and addison as they record their impressions of foreign travel thus when addison crossed the alps some twenty-five years before in good weather he wrote a very troublesome journey you cannot imagine how i am pleased with the sight of a plain gray crossed the alps in the beginning of winter wrapped in muffs hoods and masks of beaver fur boots and bearskins but wrote ecstatically not a precipice not a torrent not a cliff but is pregnant with religion and poetry on his return to england gray lived for a short time at stoke pogis where he wrote his ode on eton and probably sketched his elegy which however was not finished till seventeen fifty eight years later during the latter years of his shy and scholarly life he was professor of modern history and languages at cambridge without any troublesome work of lecturing to students here he gave himself up to study and to poetry varying his work by prowlings among the manuscripts of the new british museum and by his lilliputian travels in england and scotland he died in his rooms at pembroke college in seventeen seventy one and was buried in the little churchyard of stoke poges works of gray gray's letters published in seventeen seventy five are excellent reading and his journal is still a model of natural description but it is to a single small volume of poems that he owes his fame and his place in literature 
these poems divide themselves naturally into three periods in which we may trace the progress of gray's emancipation from the classic rules which had so long governed english literature in the first period he wrote several minor poems of which the best are his hymn to adversity and the odes to spring and on a distant prospect of eton college these early poems reveal two suggestive things first the appearance of that melancholy which characterizes all the poetry of the period and second the study of nature not for its own beauty or truth but rather as a suitable background for the play of human emotions the second period shows the same tendencies more strongly developed the elegy written in a country churchyard seventeen fifty the most perfect poem of the age belongs to this period to read milton's il penseroso and gray's elegy is to see the beginning and the perfection of that literature of melancholy which largely occupied english poets for more than a century two other well-known poems of this second period are the pindaric odes the progress of poesy and the bard the first is strongly suggestive of dryden's alexander's feast but shows milton's influence in a greater melody and variety of expression the bard is in every way more romantic and original an old minstrel the last of the welsh singers halts king edward and his army in a wild mountain pass and with fine poetic frenzy prophesizes the terror and desolation which must ever follow the tyrant from its first line ruin seize thee ruthless king to the end when the old bard plunges from his lofty crag and disappears in the river's flood the poem thrills with the fire of an ancient and noble race of men it breaks absolutely with the classical school and proclaims a literary declaration of independence in the third period gray turns momentarily from his welsh material and reveals a new field of romantic interest in two norse poems the fatal sisters and the descent of odin gray translated his material from the latin and though these two poems lack much of the elemental strength and grandeur of the norse sagas they are remarkable for calling attention to the unused wealth of literary material that was hidden in northern mythology to gray and to percy who published his northern antiquities in seventeen seventy is due in large measure the profound interest in the old norse sagas which has continued to our own day taken together gray's works form a most interesting commentary on the varied life of the eighteenth century he was a scholar familiar with all the intellectual interests of his age and his work has much of the precision and polish of the classical school but he shares also the reawakened interest in nature in common man and in medieval culture and his work is generally romantic both in style and in spirit the same conflict between the classic and romantic schools and the triumph of romanticism is shown clearly in the most versatile of gray's contemporaries oliver goldsmith End of section thirty four